Welcome back to the Scoop College Basketball Podcast. The Final Four is set, and the Final Four of the NIT is going on right now. Um, I don't know if you've been paying any attention to that, Dan, but North Texas beat Wisconsin earlier today. I did not watch the second of the game, and I'm glad did not. Wisconsin did not score in the final five, nine minutes. There was no point scored in the last two minutes. Um, yeah, I'm really glad I did not watch that game. And UAB and Utah Valley are playing right now, so we could have an all-conference USA NIT final. And Charlotte from the Conference USA won the CBI, and FAU is in the Final Four. Um, now, it's also important to note here that Charlotte, North Texas, and FAU will be in the AAC next year. But enough of that talk. We're here to get into the actual content of the podcast. But first... Make sure to drop us a follow on our social media platforms at Hoopscoop Media, Twitter, Instagram. Check those out. We'd appreciate a follow, maybe some likes as well. That would be nice. Maybe a retweet or something. But uh, so before we get into like the final four in GameStop, we thought we would hit on some coaching hires. So the most notable one. I'd say is Texas elevating interim head coach Rodney Terry to their permanent head coach. And I know I've uh, made my opinions clear on Texas and that Texas should not have hired him. Uh, Dan, what are your thoughts on Texas giving Terry the full-time position? Well, I, I flash back to when we were talking about Kentucky and John Calipari and if and if Kentucky would actually have the appetite to actually I don't know, you can't say fire him, but actually part ways. Like it's hard to it's hard to even it was hard to even phrase it as Kentucky, thinking about a world where Kentucky fired John Calipari, but then I don't even we were kind of overlooking that step and just kind of marrying Texas and Calipari uh, a little bit ago, at least some folks were and I don't see how with the, I mean Kentucky certainly righted the ship on in that on that side of things, but then also I have a hard time seeing how you can't give Rodney Terry really high consideration. Then it makes total sense to me actually that he did end up landing the job because it's look at the finish, the Elite Eight finish. That momentum uh, is big, and there's some something to be said for uh, continuity in a program. And when you elevate interim head coach, you know you're afforded that. Uh, Terry, I, I think. A lot of times, depending on the circumstances, an interim coach should be very much in in the mix. It's not like some NFL teams to use that comparison, you know, kind of rule out the interim right away and they know it's a stopgap and this, that and the other thing. But it didn't feel that way with Coach Terry and uh, Texas was darn close to the final four on the doorstep of that. Uh, So I think it's not every day that you're going to get a Jerome Tang year one, you know, super successful uh, walking in your door. Uh, so especially in a uh, doggy dog conference like the Big 12, I actually I, I can kind of get behind the idea of Texas having that continuity from interim to now a full time permanent, permanent head coach in Terry. Yeah, I will say it's tough not to bring him back in the position where you were when they made it to Elite Eight and they definitely had some tremendous success. It's not like when he took over for beer, they basically like collapsed. They, they basically stayed the same, but. I just I just think this is one of those hires is gonna backfire in like a few years and we look back and like oh Texas probably should have 
try to bring in a big name with all the money that they have. I mean, you saw a few years ago, Wichita State, they elevated Isaac Brown to the head coaching position after he took over, after Greg Marshall was forced to resign. And, like, he he had a solid first year. He made a tournament, but he was given all that talent to work with from day one without actually really having to do much. And then you look at him now, he's now jobless um, after getting fired after a few disappointing years. So that's just what I really go back to. And also, Terry has not proven to be a super successful head coach in other situations. Uh, he did make a tournament once at Fresno State, but they were a 14 seed. It's not like he was building a dynasty there. And then when you look at his teams at UTEP, he definitely had some talented rosters. He had Bryson Williams and Sule Boom on the same team, who in the future both ended up being first-team all-conference players in high-major conferences. And he went like... Eight and eight with that team in Conference USA. So that's just what I look back to that when Terry actually has to build his own teams, like he's, I mean, he's not a terrible coach. I think we've seen it. He's a fine coach and he's definitely a great guy. Like, definitely not the bad leader for the program and that type. But I just, I just, it's, it's hard to not hire him in this situation, but I don't think I trust him over the next few years of leading Texas. Like their top like three or four players are super seniors. So it's I mean, the work is cut out for Terry and I he definitely has a chance to succeed because it's Texas. But I don't know. I'm kind of conflicted. And another reason why I don't think they should have brought him back is I don't know if you watch that Elite Eight game, but like when the when it was in crunch time in the final possessions, they were giving they were getting it to Brock Cunningham. Like you just can't make that happen. So that's another thing I look back to. Like obviously he made a lead eight. That's great regardless of circumstances. But I feel like towards the end of the game he showed that maybe he shouldn't be the full time coach. But then also you go back to it. It's hard to not hire him after what happened. Like and how he was still able to keep it team afloat so it's it's really just a tough situation but texas did hire him so yeah how, how do you think i mean i already said my opinions and yeah. how texas would work in the future but how, how do you think it's gonna go down i think he was given a five-year contract well i think uh well a lot of these you know the vast majority of these head coaching hires it's like a 50 50 you know the cliche says it's a crapshoot but i think Yes, the, the late game management against Miami in that Elite Eight game leaves something to be desired. That's a correct point. I think that's valid. But I also look at the greater body of work that the run through the Big 12 tournament was big in my eyes. I mean, to take down Kansas in the Big 12 final uh, by that margin uh, was really stand out to me. Um, and then I think just the way Texas finished it like statistically in the big 12, number one scoring offense in the big 12, number one scoring margin. I know that there are going to be a lot of those super, super seniors, very experienced players are going to be um, moving on. But I, I just think, especially, I mean, and I'll get to kind of trying to forecast his five-year contract in a second, but I, I don't want to minimize it. I, I, I've already said, I think his hiring was deserved, but I also think there's a certain sensitivity, I think, in the world of sports to not passing over an interim coach who's an African-American candidate um, because, you know, we've seen it. I mean, the NFL, I use that comparison again. Obviously, it's a different world, but that kind of sets the tone in a lot of ways for the sporting kind of scene in the United States. And there's been kind of a proclivity among NFL owners at times to it's kind of been a bit questionable which certain candidates 
of some different backgrounds haven't gotten, you know, head coaching opportunities from interim roles. So, um, you know, not to say that that's the, that's an only, re- you know, no, Terry's had a valid resume and a, was kind of the front runner to kind of earn this job as they got deeper in the NCAA tournament. But I do think that's kind of just part of the awareness too. Um, that's, I'm not saying that's wrong or anything, but I'm just, I do think that that's maybe part of their, part of kind of the consideration and kind of, uh, something that's kind of in the minds, but in terms of the next five years, all that aside, I'm optimistic. You have to think about Texas in the in the SEC. Like I, I'm really trying to think about how they fit in the SEC picture. And the SEC's um gotten to be so much stronger, deeper than just Kentucky. Uh, I had the good for maybe we'll get into different topics I learned from this conversation I had a few days ago. I was actually able to talk with a Big Ten administrator, like real relatively high up in the conference uh pecking order underneath the now outgoing commissioner, or for I should say former commissioner Kevin Warren. And this Big Ten administrator cited the SEC as an example of, you know, when you make a really have a, when you're, a bunch of your schools who aren't your main basketball blue blood like Kentucky, when a bunch of schools hit on coaching hires, and he, this admin didn't mention these names, but I thought of kind of Bruce Pearl at Auburn and Musselman at Arkansas and other names uh, throughout the conference. When you when you hit on a bunch of hires all at once, you, you can kind of see the depth of your league improve. So the SEC's depth has improved so much. And where does Texas fall into that? I'm 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 I don't want to say I'm hopeful. You know, I'll be pulling for Coach Terry. That's for sure. I'm not going to root against anybody. So I guess that doesn't tell you anything. But uh, I do think that the Texas, the department resources are going to stack up just fine in the SEC. Like there are only but so many schools in the country, obviously, who could join the SEC and 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 not you know sneeze at who who you're going to be recruiting against as your conference peers all of a sudden. And Texas, in a in the basketball sense, is going to be dealing with Kentucky and some other SEC schools who. Um, may be a little less skewed towards all the way football, where Texas is obviously very much a football institution. But I, I think the, as I dance around the question, the point is I could see Texas winning an SEC men's basketball championship under Terry. I mean, I, I'd be willing to, I'd be willing, I'd be willing to uh, bet on that in some ways because the, I, I was impressed by the way that the SEC showed up. Now I know that the SC, the NCAA tournament didn't, didn't uh, exactly, you know, have. An SEC team really carry the flag that well. Kentucky didn't end up advancing uh, as far as maybe some picked in terms of being one of those hotter teams. But uh, I do think that Texas can win an SEC championship under Terry. I don't. I think it's actually more likely than not that they do. That's really my succinct way of putting that. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure if I necessarily agree or disagree with that statement because he is an amazing recruiter. He's always been able to bring the talent. It just depends if he can actually get that talent to work. But one thing I want to go back to is you made a point of how Texas like was the best offense in the Big 12. Uh, they won the Big 12 tournament ch- championship. And that is true. But how much how much was that? How much of that was actually Terry and how much of that was just him being there? And this was all Beard's team because Beard was the one that assembled the team. And right. obviously everyone knows, despite what happened off the court this season, he's an amazing coach. Um and I mean, like well, they so, were yeah. right. I don't want to cut you off. And yeah, they were very stacked. They were stacked. They were talented. But he so inherited he inherited the talent, and he also inherited a mess. With I mean, it's easy to forget. There was a huge. It was certainly a big distraction that the way Beard went out. But right? what, so one like, thing one thing I want to mention on that is Texas is one of the oldest teams in the country. Like I mentioned, how many super seniors they had. Mm-hmm. You have to think that a team like that would be more prepared to. Uh, still continue to play well and after a coaching yeah. change like this mm-hmm. in that situation because everyone's so old and mature as opposed to 
a team lined with freshmen. Yeah, no. So certainly there would be a difference if it were a bunch of one and duns or kids who had been in high school a year ago. Now, all of a sudden, the the man they committed to for at least one season or two seasons or more is now out the door in a, in a, in a cloud of uncertainty. So yeah, that so there's a difference between those two scenarios. But I still think that you can bring that extreme up and then also consider, OK, super seniors or not, it, it's it's pretty, pretty a pretty pivotal moment to have your head coach um, really be. I mean, he's 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 the one who's kind of the fate. Like Beard is became a big name coach as he was, you know, successful at Texas Tech. Like he, uh, Beard, in, I mean, I know Marcus Carr is also the face of the team, but I like Beard is like the face of the program. So when the face of the program is pretty high profile, is in, involved in that controversy and then is out of the door. That I I don't know. I still have to give the interim coach because not every coach out there, not every Power Five assistant could manage that and could actually no keep, absolutely keep it under wrap. And some some people would have fell apart in that situation for sure. Terry did not, which I'm definitely still giving credit to him. I just think he kind of like the car was already running and he just stepped in instead of like him having to, I'm not saying he didn't do a ton to still have to to put it in drive necessarily. (laughs) Yeah. I I just, I just think they were too good to like, Almost anyone could have coached a team, but you, you still have to give credit for what he was able to accomplish. I'm not saying it's the wrong hire necessarily. Personally, I would not have gone that way, but it will definitely be interesting to look because well, I yeah. I know they have a few five stars in the class. They've, uh, t- I think Terry might have been the one that recruited them because I remember them like mentioning on Twitter or something like, I am still committed uh, to the mm-hmm. program and Rodney Terry or, or something along those lines, which, yeah, yeah, he, he's definitely a very good person. And I mean, I definitely, I mean, I hope he can succeed because that would be a good, that'd be a good story for sure. Yeah. It, it'll, it'll be interesting. I, just the past, uh, considering how much talent he had at UTEP and the lack of success he was able to have there, really rubs me the wrong way but at texas he has all the resources so like there, there's no excuses right regardless of what happens so yeah no that's a good point is that we're gonna find out right and that's probably i think part of this is right let's find out it five years i know it sounds like a sound it can sound like a lot but it, it's pretty standard it's not like they gave him some exorbitant you know 10 plus years like that wasn't called for it's like if they if this had been a really long term that wouldn't have made sense but this will give him kind of the runway these five years um and and, and i'm not assuming that he's going to complete all five years of the deal but if all goes well he's getting that runway into kind of giving texas a, a vision of what the, the program can springboard into in its sec era so i do think that um this makes sense it's not a trial i don't mean to say it's trial and error is the wrong phrase but it's you know this isn't this is a commitment it's a commitment he's the permanent head coach now but you actually get to see okay with no strings attached no interim labels obviously none of the uh, cloud of hey we're gonna have to see if how he interviews in terms of the in the setting of looking for the full-time position it, it's there now all those variables are isolated and you have the one variable of cancer is can he coach? Can he recruit year over year? Can he manage the program as the head coach full time? And so this 
the, the winning track record, though, I can't penalize him for how talented his kids were. Like, if you win them as many games as he did and got won the Big 12 tournament and got in the NCAA tournament that depth that far in all this chaos for high seeds, like, let's not forget, Texas, one of those high seeds that actually was hanging in there. <laughs> so I, there are a lot of big-name coaches who did not have their uh, high seed uh, last in the Elite Eight. So, no, I do think that you, you got to – I'm going to not penalize him for having a really talented team that he, quote, inherited, and I'm going to say, hey – um, let's buckle up to see if they get that SEC title that I predicted in the in the five year deal he has. <laughs> yeah, I do kind of agree with your point. The one thing about that is Texas is definitely an athletic department that can uh that has enough money that they can just like uh, like you you don't you it's not doesn't you don't have to just like oh well this guy was okay let's go with it you can hire almost anyone which yeah. I yeah. mean I I don't. I, I think it, I don't know if I think it was the right hire or not, because I, I think it would have been very hard to not hire him, but I also don't think it'll work out best for the program in the long term. It's kind of, kind of conflicting there, but. So you we, think it's we, short, in the short term, you think it optics wise, it makes sense. Like it's hard. It's hard. I, I mean, it's, it's hard. To, it's hard to, to not hire him. Successful interim, right. It's, yeah. it's hard to not hire him at this point, but I don't think based on his previous track record, it'll go great in the future. But he might he uh, might rise to the occasion. Like he might be a coach who just happens to perform better when he has that highest level power five power two, as you say, opportunity. So we'll 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 see. I'm I'm spinning the optimistic tone, but I guess that's not a surprise at the beginning of an episode. We will see. I mean, he he'll definitely get talent, and as long as he can uh, coach that, I mean, he'll 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 be able to get way better assistance as well than he was uh, at UTEP. So well, let's move on. Don't want to talk our whole podcast about Rodney Terry, even though that was a monumental hire. Um, so Micah Shrewsbury, he has taken the Notre Dame job. Um, I mean, I don't really have as much to say about this, obviously, as Terry, because I don't really have any objections. I think this was a good hire. Shrewsbury is an Indiana guy. He's coached at a ton of different schools within Indiana as an assistant or some non-D1 schools as a head coach as well. I mean, he even coached at IU South Bend, which is in the same city as Notre Dame. Um, That was a while ago. But, yeah, I mean, I think this was a good hire. There was some optimism as whether Penn State would take out their checkbooks and get him more. But at the end of the day, he is an Indiana guy and is returning to a – I'd say Notre Dame is a better job than Penn State. Not super significantly better, but better enough that there is a difference. Um, so yeah, I think I think it was a great hire. Yeah, this made all the sense in the world. And I, I actually think the Notre Dame men's basketball job is a bigger jump up from Penn State than like because I'm not going to judge the quality of the Penn State job based on how much Shrewsbury improved the image of that job while he was there, right? Like, <laughs> like I actually think it is a bigger leap in some ways than uh, it kind of seems like on the surface just with uh, how much I think the Nittany Lions image kind of improved under Shrewsbury. So it's a good move. I don't I don't know that we did a fair bit of time discussing when the Mike Bray news first came out, Austin. We talked a fair bit about Notre Dame's opening. Do we we had Shrewsbury in the in the picture? Did we or we do we I don't remember him being in the top of our initial kind of brainstorm, but he should have been, I think. Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing his name back when like that was like there were being so many names being tossed around. Um, let me 
we meant to do some research back into our files here while you're while you're taking a peek at those. I I want to say he was in there, but he wasn't. He, mm -hmm. he probably should have been higher because when you think about what he's did at Texas at not Texas A&M in beating Texas A&M in the NCAA tournament uh, this season in okay he he wasn't our he wasn't our names that we talked about he he wasn't our names that we talked about so. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, like, that's that's not a surprise. Like, who was, he was quote, like ahead of him? Like, who did we we spent some more time on some other on some other names? Um, we talked a little bit about some like NBA guys. Mm -hmm. uh, Chris Holman at one point was a hot name. Obviously, uh, we touched on Inglesby, but I mean, I never really thought <laughs> that was a huge possibility. Yeah. Um, touched on Dusty May a little bit, but I mean, obviously, they can't really hire him right now and honestly i think he might come back to fau i mean i don't know where else he would go um well i won't but... i i guess yeah the job market's a bit different now now that you're you know gonna be coaching in, in early april yes and and also he can like almost almost run it back next year so if 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 everybody stays in if you have to think of coach may not not, not to get straight off to off topic but if coach may returns he may be able to the pieces together of course i'm sure coaches will be interested in or i shouldn't say coaches but different you know in the landscape now maybe some different nil collectives different places might want to be uh dangling certain things <laughs> in front of guys to try to get them in the portal we hear kind of, kind of rumblings about that so but in certain well, i mean F F fau doesn't defense. really need guys from the portal like well, maybe not they saying, need, I'm like not, i'm talking about fau current players bigger bigger yeah. program or schools being like, the if if he, they made a final four and I mean they're still in it, they could even go farther, yeah, and have the opportunity to run it back. I I mean I don't know why you would transfer. I'm not and saying also, I'm not saying those players would decide to do no, that. I'm no, just saying no. that it's probably going to be presented to them. I, but I, but at the same for, time, at at the yeah. same time, like everyone's going to be wanting to get these FAU players signed up for NIL, like a bunch of big companies. Like yeah, uh, already because, or FAU, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm sure they're all getting their fair share of NIL deals more than they have the whole season mm -hmm. combined and yeah, that stuff. Um well Boca has some comp there's some there's some there's some corporate money in Boca right there in that area. It's it's, it's, it's not a bad area. So <laughs> no, it's not. And yeah, FAU will definitely pay Dusty May a lot of money. Um they're not going to keep him around forever, but you think with the quarter they have, they can keep him around for you know, like one or two more years at least. And they also, I think they need to upgrade their facilities as well. And I think that they probably will. I mean, not have a ton of money revenue coming in from this final four run, which I mean, as I mentioned, is still not over. They uh, could make a national championship yep. and potentially even win it's not completely out of the question yet we will talk about that matchup later and mm -hmm. we will talk about the final four match in general later but let's get back to our coaching yep. hires and back we have a Dave. coaching hire that is actually coaching right now in the nit um it's not 100 percent like a done deal but mark madsen will be the next head coach at cal barring any unforeseen circumstances that come up um He's currently trailing UAB by one with 9.02 left in the second half. Um, just thought that I'd throw that in. But yeah, Utah Valley, he's uh, Mark Pope left a few years ago for BYU, and he's kind of been doing great uh, recently, even though they lost Fardas last year. The team has honestly been better, not like he was a uh, liability, but 
They brought in uh, Aziz Bendogo from Akron, who was like didn't really do anything at Akron, and now is like a beast in the paint. Not necessarily what Fardaz does, but he's a, he's like a super athletic big. They also have other guys in Madison. Just I think Madison's a really good coach, and for a program like Cal that has really been struggling lately, I think it's a fine hire. Um, there was speculation that Madison was going to go to Stanford. But for some reason, Stanford decided to retain Jared Haas, which that's a whole different topic. But um, how how desirable, like how what's like the potential of the Cal job? Because obviously Mark Fox did not he did not win there. Um, But I think I think you can win at Cal. What do you think? I think uh, at, at when you see, I mean, Southern California is already a different story than Cal Berkeley. Like, so USC and UCLA, I bring them up while acknowledging those differences right up front. But I do think, I, I always mention realignment like in every different topic, but it's, I mean, I think it is factoring kind of landscape that when we bring up these big button-ish or these broad topics. So when you see UCLA and USC go to the Big Ten, that's going to leave the remaining California institutions around the Pac-12 and almost lump San Diego State in there informally or de, de facto or in a presumption kind of style pretty soon here. Um, that that leaves, I think, you know, you're kind of your Cal and Stanford in a, in a different sort of uh, category and kind of in a rack below. But it's a, it, the Cal amazing institution, great untapped potential, I think, is probably the kind of the, the uh, buzz or the buzz phrase you would use here. And it's yeah, such a good fit. I think like this is a guy in Madison who can kind of maximize it. I mean, as a Stanford alum and Hall of Famer, I like that. Uh, I, I like that alignment there. You know, having been a, a extremely successful student athlete at, at Stanford, I think that pays dividends when you're kind of know. Okay, if you're recruit like as somebody who was at Stanford, you kind of know exactly who you're competing against and know your kind of profile of student athlete you're recruiting. Um, I mean, former Lakers assistant, I like that. You know, really good ties to Southern California. Uh, two time NBA champ in his playing career, of course. Um, and I mean, at Utah Valley, successful resume there. You touched on. Um, I mean, just getting a Fardos Amac in in there was like uh, I I you know I give that as a plus. I know it didn't um necessarily transpire like that wasn't as much like a it didn't last on the court as much because of course there's all the kind of player movement these days and that's not a criticism of Amac. Yeah, I mean he he wasn't a super high profile pickup at the time, yeah. but the way the way now, they developed right. him, especially yeah. over uh, his redshirt year, because that's when uh, players had to transfer after or had to redshirt after. Mm-hmm uh transferring once so yeah he just yeah. came from like a random like mercer like role bench <laughs> player to like yeah. the best rebounder in the country so yeah that definitely stands out to me and yeah. they also have some really good guards this year they're more built on guards plus uh bandogo in the middle but yeah like i agree he's done a great job there um the one thing that i'm a little concerned about is just cal in general doesn't seem like he cares about sports which like a lot of these other programs, like you mentioned, like uh, USC and UCLA, I feel like not not to compare them in the same world as Cal because they're not, <laughs> but like programs like just other programs are way more invested in sports than Cal. But I think Cal has what it takes if they would fully invest mm. their money and time into their athletic programs. I think they could develop some winners there. Yeah. So, so I think there's a difference, like between Cal and the, the to the LA pair we keep mentioning and just in terms yeah. of the the aggression applied to the new era of college sports I think Cal is just more cautious uh I don't so yeah I mean 
I guess the I like this is my I guess that's the gifts the, the spin cow would give you too is like idealistically like you say yeah yeah it's just they're kind of wading in a bit more than than like these heavy hitters USC and UCLA who are jumping ship to a conference that spans from what will be LA to Rutgers like a cow is not gonna really want to gonna be necessarily I think in a coast to coast conference like that at at this moment I don't think that's the philosophy oh now. no I cow's not going um, anywhere <laughs> but you know if the Big Ten were interested I don't I don't know now of course you dangle a big enough TV distribution and maybe it changes the story but no the um, big ten isn't gonna try to get cal though <laughs> yeah right that's a different con- t- podcast entirely is does cal even have like the cachet or like do, do or can they be part of a package that moves the needle enough perhaps not in basketball um but and back to madsen uh i mean the it was 20 wins last season uh and now he's in deep in the nit like the, he he has all kinds of momentum to kind of move up to a pac-12 job so in yeah, I think it checks. It checks all sorts. It just makes a ton of sense. It makes a ton of sense. And I also, um, I, we're, we're keeping track of the NIT semifinal, of course, as we as we record here on Tuesday night. And Utah Valley very much is in this game against one of the best teams who didn't make the NCAA tournament in UAB. So, um, I, yeah, I do Utah Valley's probably also... one of the best teams that didn't make tournament as well. Did Did you yeah. watch that game for Southern Utah when they were up by like twenty and <laughs> then they? collapsed that that was a late one so i don't know if you yeah i didn't get to that late one for where i am on the east coast but, but yeah, like I like i mention. like i started watching something else because i thought mm. that game was getting out of hand and i <laughs> changed back and then they completely blow that one yeah no i mean i think but, like north texas and we're gonna get into the texas text uh zeroing in on grant mccaslin but i think grant mccaslin despite everything that's going on there and that that distraction and that that weighing maybe on UNT a little bit. UNT still shuts down Wisconsin to the tune of 13 points allowed all second half long. That's nutty to me. And that's a great green flag for like a, not like what we call an outgoing coach. Like, yes, everything else is swirling about your next job, but you still have your team locked in enough to strap down a Big Ten opponent to 13 points in the second half. That's big time. And getting it back to Madsen and Utah Valley, I mean, Utah Valley is in a battle, in a game. It's staying competitive. Like, there isn't this the team isn't kind of just folding up shop and folding up the tents and cause the head coach is kind of keeping everybody uh, on board uh, as long, as long as the season is continuing. So that, I think that like that counts for something too. Like, yes, you've already gotten the job and everything just has to, the ink has to dry and everything, but you're still, I like to see the job get finished. Right. And so that's another, that's another check in Madsen's box the way I see it. Yes. Um, yeah. So let's just talk about McCaslin now. Um, since you mentioned it. Yeah. So um I think that's a pretty solid hire for Texas Tech. His name has been floated around in high major coaching circles for the past the past year or two, but he's been pretty content to stay in North Texas. But when opportunity opportunity like this comes, you can't really let it pass. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty good pickup. He is a great defensive coach. Offense is not the most entertaining, but it gets the job done. It's not like he has a bad offense. It's just, it's just a very slow tempo that he's been playing the past few years. Um, yeah, yeah, not the most exciting brand of basketball, but it certainly won North Texas games. So, and it will continue to do so at the high major level. Um, one thing about him is he he's not like a big like personality, like a lot of these other coaches are. Like I don't know if that'll affect recruiting or anything like that. But you, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's he's more of, like, a reserved guy. No, I see what you mean. And I, I think, honestly, that comes to my mind a bit. And, and you can tell me if I'm not making any sense here. But for some reason, I, like, in, I associate Texas Tech's men's basketball brand with just being, like, a loud brand. 
like i and like as beard was ascending and like i don't mean that and in a bad fans. Way. It's, it's, it's a compliment like what i mean is like texas tech's kind of in your face like texas tech showed up as a program on the rise uh, under beard and when i think of texas tech's home games i think of a really intimidating home atmosphere with the really impressive student section and the the the, the young person turnout you know there the engagement in the program is really good um yeah, te- texas think, tech twitter is crazy yeah <laughs> the the twitter users the, the 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 digital voice of the fan base is wild um so but mccaslin's good like so he might not like we might not identify that persona like associate his kind of persona with that but in the end with, with the wins like when the wins stack up because defense will carry that defensive prowess will carry over to the big the big 12 and um yeah i think when the wins stack up they're gonna embrace him and when they do it'll be they'll be humming like he mccaslin's been calculated about this like he didn't just jump at whatever like marginal leap from north texas that he could have had like this he's clearly been like pretty patient and like that's another I think positive sign from a head coach who's not just looking to really job hop to job hop. And yeah, you're winning, but you're spending a year, a year and a half at these places. Like McCaslin's been pretty, pretty loyal, dedicated to the craft in North Texas and what's been constructed there. And at this point, even with North Texas entering the American athletic, the, yeah, it's hard to, I mean, now that you're, you have a, the big 12, the top conference, hard to, um hard to shy away from Lubbock, uh, which is, I really do think Texas Tech's athletic department overall has improved. Like Patrick Mahomes' success, I think, kind of increased awareness too. Like I know, again, different sport, people are gonna roll their eyes at, but I do. I think overall, Texas Tech is a really emerging brand, and I keep using brand and image, but that's what half of what college sports is. And McCaslin will only build to that with uh, the way he wins. I think uh, with like you touched on, I was gonna mention it too that that defensive first kind of uh, philosophy. You're not necessarily gonna, and it might be adapted a bit. There may be some adaptation in order to win in certain situations against a really potent offenses of the big 12 but um no, I'm, I'm curious to see how kind of how he how he adjusts to life in that league yeah yeah i mean i think it's a good hire he's part of scott drew tree and you can't really go wrong with that um so yeah um i think he's generally genuinely a pretty well-liked guy by his players from all i've heard so it's not going to be another mark adams situation which was quite the disaster after a good year one but moving on to penn state where they are likely going to hire mike rhodes as their next head coach they gave him an offer i mean i i think he has yet to accept it but i'm assuming he will so if he gets hired i think this is a pretty good hire i think rhodes is a pretty underrated coach in the national spectrum um he's done a good job at vcu and yeah vcu has really churned out some coaches um but yeah i i think this would be a good hire um yeah i mean don't really have any huge other comments about it since it's not um not yeah not official official yet but here's how but, here's how you know it's about to be official because the report would only be leaking out that they've offered him the job if Penn State were supremely confident that he'll accept, right? Like Penn State's not going to let it slip out. Now there are great reporters out there. Maybe this came out without Penn State really looking for it to get out, but um, I don't think necessarily it would be coming out if there wasn't a really high degree of confidence from Penn State that they're going to land him, that they'll ultimately secure him. Like I, I, I think it would be kind of 
something that, that uh, Penn State would not be too keen on. I mean, maybe I could be wrong. It's just me speculating here. But no, I do think it all all signs point to that. And um, yeah, for Rhodes, I mean, he played at Lebanon Valley College of Pennsylvania. Uh, so that's that's a yeah, he's he got in some ways those roots there, kind of in central Pennsylvania. That'll be really serve him well. Being, being like a Pennsylvania guy definitely helps. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The credibility of this hire. Yeah, because when you look at it, like certainly has a really good overall winning percentage. I mean, you're looking at a winning percentage of over 65. Like that's that's strong. Um, not necessarily the NCAA tournament success just yet uh, to back anything up, but Penn State like. Shrewsbury completely elevated, like I think expectations for what Penn State can do, but at the same time, like if Penn State settles, like settles on, I don't mean to say like, like it's this plan B or anything, but if they ultimately settle on finalizing the choice of, um, Rhodes, th- that kind of signals that they're not, they're Penn State's also not getting carried away about what about who they can actually attract because while it's a very well resourced athletic department, similarly to Texas, I do think there's only so much love to go around, and football is going to keep. Like not put a ceiling on what basketball can do there, but it's going to continue to have to be, you know, they're, they're going to have to, Penn State, I think, is going to have to prove to me that it can uh, be like an NCAA tournament regular or like a regular winner into the into the round of 32. So um, I'm interested in seeing this getting done, this getting done for good with Rhodes and Penn State, but uh, the LVC background for Rhodes is, you know, a strong one. And I am kind of interested to see how Rhodes, like, honestly, going from VCU to Penn State, could, could that be more, di- like, I'm not saying he's not like ready professionally or anything. I just think like institutional profile change, like, okay, going from a non-football playing school in Richmond, a very urban environment to state college, you know, uh, Happy Valley, like where it's a huge, like kind of classic, massive big 10 college town. Like that's so fun. That's kind of funny to me. Like it's just humorous to me. I'm not saying that it's going to like not function for roads. I'm just saying like it, it's a completely different kind of setting to coach basketball is one place is like, basketball is king at vcu and has been for as long as certainly we remember right and then the other is not like basketball there's not like there's a support for basketball but it's definitely just a different scene there's a different sporting scene and Rhodes will need to um he'll, he'll have pressure he will face pressure i think he's one of the coaches actually going to be under a fair amount of pressure to build on um what micah shrewsbury got done because that it wasn't it wasn't precedent in recent times what shrewsbury was able to accomplish so at Penn State. So I do think actually that this is one of those spots where it's one of the more bigger pressure spots. Uh, and it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how an, an, a very successful A-10 coach, but an urban environment, you know, basketball for a school coach kind of transitions to that, that life at Penn State. Yeah, that will be interesting. But like as, oh, and overall, like uh, the job, I, th- I think it's not really that big of a st- step up, honestly, J- just like the job caliber. I mean, it, it will definitely be interesting because, yes, VCU is a basketball school and Penn State, like, it doesn't really care about basketball. Maybe they instilled some more uh, buzz into their program, obviously, after this year, making a tournament winning a game. But I think he can adjust. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think he's just a good enough coach that it's not going to be that big of a deal. I mean, especially like I mentioned, the programs are like honestly pretty similar in caliber. Yeah, yeah. No, it's going to be manageable in terms of in that regard, like in the greater overall Division One basketball packing order. I I just think like his his life is he is really just going to have a different like whole different setting lifestyle day to day. Like I just think about it now. That's not to say he can't. Like recruiting RVA, like that's actually going to be, he's going to bring a certain number. There's going to be certain valuable things to come from being in Virginia for a length of time he had been. 
on getting getting that kind of identity in, at the Penn State as well. But yeah, I do I do it's even off the court. Like I may be most curious about how how he how he does in state college as compared to Richmond because I'm I, just me being here on the East Coast. Like I have certain like perceptions like VCU as a student body and a school, and then like Penn State is like very different crowd to me. So it's it's just funny to yeah. see. Now of course student athletes is a whole different story. Um, but no, I think it certainly is a spot where now I'm honestly a little more interested in what VCU does with its opening. Just again my East Coast bias showing, but that'll be that'll be interesting too because the A10 had it coming off a down here and you. You have to think VCU is in a spot where it really, presuming there will be a vacancy there, really is going to be important hire for the Rams to kind of keep a, a grip on that top spot in the league. Yes, and moving to New Mexico State, they hired Sam Houston State coach Jason Hewen. I honestly think this is a great hire. Uh, the program was uh, in a really tough spot. I mean, it still is in a really tough spot, and if they would have whiffed on this hire that would have been the end of their athletic director. And but I, I think they nailed this one, honestly. Um Hooten is a very good coach. Uh he really has some good defensive teams. And he really in his introductory press conference really made a big emphasis on culture, which was obviously a big problem at New Mexico State this year. So I, I think he's the right guy and the right coach to lead the program. Um, it will definitely be interesting to see what happens his first year with, I mean, e- even though he's hired uh, and the public perception on him is pretty good, there's still a lot of negative buzz surrounding the program as a whole. So that will definitely be interesting to monitor and like what kinds of guys he will get. But overall, I think this is a very good hire. Yeah, this is a this is a big pickup for New Mexico State in a big spot. You you said so succinctly. It was a great moment. One of our best moments, I think, in the series is you said that the AD's job essentially is a, in a bit in many ways on the line here with uh, getting this right, re reimagining this from scratch, getting it completely washed out in the program, uh, and getting getting a really important a do over. I guess is like a really basic way of putting it, and to spend a really successful. Uh, thir- what was it? I want to say, how many? How many? I mean, thirteen years was it? Was it? Would it? Does it add up to thirteen years at Sam Houston for Coach Hooten? And um, that's uh, somewhere in the neighborhood, I believe. Yeah, I, it was over a decade. It was over a decade at Sam Houston, and I, I, I'm actually pretty familiar with Sam Houston's athletic department from. Yeah, my, he was there since yeah. uh, 2011. Yeah, as head coach yeah. at least. Yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty familiar with Sam Houston's athletic department from the FCS football angle. So I kind of am familiar with the just the the resources there and they're in the transition to Conference USA up to the the FBS level for that program. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see New Mexico State and Sam Houston sharing Conference USA with Hooten coaching New Mexico State. But I, I bring up Sam Houston's department overall to say like it's when, especially when he first got there. It's not that he did a lot with maximizing what he what he could do there, and he's really grown Sam Houston men's basketball. I mean. There was the institutional support in terms of playing in the collegeinsider.com tournament in three consecutive seasons during, you know, the middle run of Hooten's tenure there, where they were finishing with you know twenty plus or in the neighborhood of twenty wins. So I'm not to say not to say there wasn't institutional support there, but it's not exactly like Huntsville isn't exactly like the easiest place to sell to every single recruit. It's kind of a, it's in a tough area in some ways. Like the, the football stadium's like right next door to like a penitentiary type kind of deal. So like Huntsville, Huntsville, Texas, is an impressive place to win, especially where Sam Houston. I mean, I keep bringing up. Department identities. Sam Houston is, is uh had a big emphasis on football. So like Sam Houston men's basketball to have this run and have this stretch of, I mean, you, you have to go back to 
I'd have to say, when we, even that 2011-12 season was the last time that Sam Houston's men's basketball team really fell shy of like the 20 win neighborhoods, like plus or minus three wins around 20. Like Hooten's been very reliably a big winner there. And now he moves over to New Mexico State where he has the background of having run a clean program. And that's actually a prerequisite, of course, for New Mexico State with the um, situation that led to this vacancy in the first place at New Mexico State. So, um, no, I think this is probably one of the best. Like, this was obviously had been leaked. There was news there was reporting about the offers that like Sam Houston was hoping to make, you know, competitive offers to try to retain him, especially when, you know, the prospective move is to a soon-to-be conference opponent as they move together to Conference USA. Um, they'd already um, shared the whack and everything, too. So just going to continue to be a conference opponent. So <laughs> I, I can understand from Sam Houston's perspective the impetus to keep him or the, the motivation to do that. But uh, New Mexico State had to get, especially with Mexico State's perspective, New Mexico State has to put all those eggs in the men's and women's basketball because football has been, we'll see if football kind of turns around in Conference USA, too. But basketball has to be this the spot where New Mexico State rehabilitates its overall image. Like men's basketball going down the gutters at New Mexico State has issues for the entire university, right? So like the, I think Hooten is such a big, big first step in repairing all of that. Yeah, well, New Mexico State's definitely a basketball school. Um, Sam Houston's not, which is uh, probably one of the reasons why Hooten uh, moved to New Mexico State. Yeah, like they they have a really strong fan base, really a lot invested into that program. So I th- and which Sam Houston really does not have, even though he had been very solid there over his tenure. So, yeah, I think it's a good hire. Any any other, any uh, more comments on Hooten? Well, yeah, so similarly, I, I, I talked about VC, having come to curiosity about what VCU might do. I'm curious where Sam Houston would look because Sam Houston's, similarly to Penn State, I think its basketball image has improved a lot thanks to the success of the coach who is about to be outgoing or is now outgoing. So who, like, does Sam, I'm very curious about the candidate pool for Sam Houston, right? Like, a previous Sam Houston vacancy, like, the the candidate pool from the time the Bearcats hired Hooten is, was probably much more humble and a bit of, like, a bit, of, a bit less top end than it might be now. Like, now you might be attracting some different, different genre of candidates, don't you think, Austin? Like, can Sam Houston might be able to I'm not saying they'll be able to hire away, you know, with the most money, uh, a huge name or anything remotely that, but they, they might actually pull, uh, you know, a, a, maybe a, a higher end assistant, not a I'm not saying a, a P5 assistant necessarily, but I'm I'm interested to see where Sam Houston goes, really, because Hooten leaves pretty big shoes to fill because it's been so consistent there. I mean, his his year over year overall record is so consistent. So I'm kind of interested in seeing how Sam Houston when it gains officially the identification as an FBS institution, that level of just the athletics world, when now that it's had this basketball proof of concept, like there's a proof of concept at working at Sam Houston, having a winner there. I'm I'm interested to see kind of what the quality of the candidate pool is they attract and how much how many more options I think they'll have than they would have had when they first uh had Coach Hooten come aboard. Yeah. Um yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I actually I think they're gonna hire their assistant, uh, Chris Mudge, yeah, who I've seen. Um, his name floated around. He's been there since uh, twenty ten. He's the associate head coach, so I, I would definitely be very surprised if Chris Mudge does not get the promotion to head coach. Following. Now it makes sense, really, as a disciple of Hooten, you know, but I, I'm just saying, yeah, that, I, I mean, there, there, there like be he's built a program up with him, so. 
Yeah. I mean, they, they can look around. Like, I think there might be some demand for it. Now, not that there'll be clear access to it, because to your point, when you have it, I, I mean, it's hard to not hire an assistant yeah. in a case like this, especially when you have an right. assistant like him. Now, so it's it's very similar to the Terry situation for different reasons. Like, I think just yeah, matter, it's not, not really ball, that but like, similar, but it's, it's a little it's a little bit of like decorum, right? Like, as I like department, you have to reward certain guys for helping build the program. And yeah. Terry was an assistant before he was named the interim head coach. Like he was part of that that for, growth for process. one year, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But look what it look where it wound up. So yeah, I know mm-hmm. it's not it's apples oranges a little bit, but I think it's similar vibes of there's a certain amount of pressure that Sam Houston will feel to not ignore the options I, I predict will be available to them, but you know, give priority to the uh, incumbent. Yeah. Yeah. Another one I wanted to throw in is High Point has hired Creighton assistant Alan Huss. Um, High Point has some money. They have some money and facilities. If they get the right coach, which I, th- which I as a Creighton fan, may be biased, but I think Huss is. He's been uh, kind of the backbone. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but like he, if, you're, if he's really been responsible for everything, but like he's he has been uh, one of the keys of how Creighton has been so good at developing players. And I mean, if he can really get into recruiting, High Point, in my mind, is easily the best job in the Big South. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, I could see that. I can see that claim being made. I mean, because they, they have so much money. Like, yeah. compared yeah. to like the rest of the conference, <laughs> they're yeah. just like in a world of their own. As side note, yeah. UAB Utah Valley is going to overtime in Las oh. Vegas. But yeah. yes, High Point. Right. Has so the one bit. thing I was going to bring up about High Point is that um, you know living in CEA country, I kind of every now and then would see speculation about a High Point being considered under consideration for a CEA spot. Uh, as the league was expanding, or I should say is, you know, kind of with Campbell already on the way here this summer as well. Yes. Uh, now it's official. Um, but so, yeah. yeah, I mean, High Point is well off, right? So, like, it takes a lot for a, a guy like Coach Hoss, who's been such a successful developer of talent, like you mentioned at Creighton, to leave um, his alma mater, right? But, like, High Point's in a spot, especially location-wise, like, with those dollars and cents figures, like, yeah, I think in that, that Big South Conference is, like, it had been shaky, right, in terms of its like stability, in terms of membership, and now that it's kind of getting its FCS football side cleaned up and it's stable there with that partnership with the OVC it has on the football side, you're at least going to see Big South basketball continue to be an entity. And why not High Point, you know, be that school that that uh, runs it up a little bit there under a, a guy I think who's I think Coach Haas is really really going to like it was only a matter of time before he became a Division One head coach, right? So like this is this yeah. is exciting. It's exciting to see what he pulls off. Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh... If you're a good enough recruiter, you can land like any big South caliber recruit over the competing schools. The facilities are amazing. I I just think this is clearly the best job in the big South, despite a little bit of lack of recent success. But uh, more of what defines a job is this ability to win there more than like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like how uh, Ed Cooley moved up a notch, even though Georgetown has been terrible, just because of what the institution can do. And like he already reaches peak at Providence. Like you could say some of these other big South schools are kind of like at their peak necessarily when they've been winning. Yeah. I think High Point definitely has the highest ceiling. They're mm-hmm. just overall the best. If everything is clicking, they could be like a big South powerhouse. Yeah, no, that you're right, right. I think that's pretty indisputable. I do think like we've seen it done more recently at 
uh, like a Winthrop or, or like a I'm throwing yeah, like a Winthrop has been there. very good lately, but High Point yeah. is so much more money. Yeah. So well, yeah, I, I have questions about maybe High Point and future realignment too for some of those related. But that's not that's enough. I, I mean, money wise, money wise, they would fit in good moving up to a bigger conference. They have the facilities. Um, I mean, all they really need is like maybe a little bit more success. And no football that that plays a factor too, and where you wind up in the conference wise, you know, because you got got to figure out not having that can be to your benefit or 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 not. It can depend. But anyhow, no. To to high points credit in terms of forgetting that that whole debate, there the higher here looks looks good, and you and you you certainly would be able to tell us better than me straight up. You're like, the, can this guy coach? Can he develop? It's you you've, you've endorsed him in ringing fashion. I mean, I mean, Creighton has been one of the best schools in the country at developing players over the past. A few years when Huss has been there, so I don't really have any worries for him. Um, I mean, he even coached a few games when McDermott was suspended briefly a few years ago, so he is 2-0 and in his head coaching career, so I mean, you could say High Point got a winner, um, but m- moving on, let's actually talk about the Final Four, because we can't spend all night talking about coaching changes. We probably went a little long in that segment, but Definitely some good content there. However, there were four teams left, and if you saw these four teams uh, when the bracket was released, you'd probably be somewhat surprised at the Final Four and San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, Miami, and UConn consists of the Final Four teams left in the field. Yeah, this is crazy. And one thing that I want to mention is that, like, I feel like all season we had been saying that there's, like, so much parity in college basketball. Like, there's no truly dominant teams in the tournament. We're, like, super surprised that Alabama and Houston didn't make it that far. Like, we've kind of been saying all season, and we just kind of forgot about that. Like, Houston might have been the best team in the country, but they weren't by an overwhelming amount or they weren't as good as the dominant teams in years past have been so i think we kind of just forgot about that and everyone like alabama winning their tournament bracket so this yeah the final we four listen to ourselves yes. yes yeah we gotta learn to listen to ourselves how the tournament has shaped up so far is a reminder of how this college basketball season has been and you know i, I love this final four i've seen some people that uh said they don't like it because there's not like the the name value maybe besides UConn but that just makes it so much better I feel like I mean just like this really defines what March Madness can be like anyone can make it like this is not the case in college football college football could never see anything like this which makes college basketball so much better like I would much rather have like Florida Atlantic in the final four than like duke or kentucky or north carolina for the millionth time or something (laughs) like that so it's which makes it so much more fun and exciting and this is what this is what makes college basketball easily the best sport in the country yeah this no i i'm with i'm i'm with you on the on the sense that this is this is like toss out like people making some kind of speculation about oh what are the cbs you know game ratings going to be for fau san diego state and then miami yukon right after that like there really isn't a single even yukon as far as quote blue bloods go like yukon hasn't i mean yukon's been very good in our I mean, lifetime they're, but they're that, like, easily the biggest brand in this yeah. uh final but, four and i mean but yukon is still a big yeah. east rather than like 
I know it's power six in, in our like in the basketball context, but still you UConn still isn't like an ACC or a, yeah. an SEC or Big Ten situation. So well, I mean, that, I, th- I think UConn is one of like I, I'm not thinking of schools in my head, but I, I I'd say they're one of like the ten biggest brands in college basketball. In I college basketball, I just, I just mean for casual cut like sports watchers, like UConn isn't moving the meter as much as like some of those other like. I, Anyway, you it's not well. Not, people people remember that they won like ball. two championships in like a little over a decade, though. So, no, yeah, you you froze there for a second in our Zoom feeds. I didn't mean to give an awkward pause or anything. If I did, but no, I like yes, UConn's been men's basketball in our lifetimes. Like I said, it's been very very strong. I just think that like UConn, like when it's UConn pulling the weight for all of like kind of that blue blood like population, like that tells you something, right? Like. They're the they're they're the Huskies are the only one like that that's really and they're a four seed in this field. Um, but Florida Atlantic San versus San Diego State is my like big story here. Like yeah, Conference USA as long as that remains for now. FAU Conference USA versus Mountain West for I, the I first semifinal, and one of those two is going to be the national championship game. Yeah, that's, that's really special. Feel straight. It feels straight out of like an NCAA basketball 09 video game, right? Like you play those, <laughs> and like oh, I'm playing like with FAU manually, and like I'm going to make it. Oh, I'm playing San Diego State. Like that could only happen. Like one major or another. That could only happen in my video game world. Well, now here it is, um, and it's not like overwhelming. Like certainly these teams are incredible, and there are there are studs on each team, but like there's not that one. You know, like superstar on duke or like the kentucky you mentioned who's like carrying to the final four like it's it's not your crop of one and duns either those places like making their one run to the final four before they go to the lottery like it's like a completely different vibe like this is an fiu team it's older but could even run it back next year this is a san diego state team that entered the tournament by beating charleston or started the tournament by beating charleston by a couple possessions and we were everyone want remember when everybody not everybody but there were a number of people picking yes. you know the that, that was a popular upset pick that i never got behind <laughs> it and now San Diego State is is the original champ. So that first game, that six p.m. tip off, East Eastern time anyway, I'm I'm juiced for because, um, it's it's a great I think it's a great representation of the way uh the men the men's sport thrived this season, the women's sport thrived for other other reasons. I I mentioned pre show. I want to talk about Caitlin Clark one way or another before we finish the show. And I I know give me give me some time for that, but um no this uh I think FAU STSU in particular is a great little uh, like symbol of the way uh the way yeah like you said it reminded us like hey dummies like why are you guys like allergic to picking against alabama like can you really not bring yourself to pick against bama when we've seen how topsy-turvy any team occupying number one in at least in the in season rankings has been so yeah this is uh this is going to be a real treat that with that 6 p.m game yes so going back a little let's talk about how these teams got here so sdsu did beat creighton uh which let's talk about that for a little bit. So I'm assuming you watched this game. What what did you think about the final foul call? Yeah, so I mean, you okay. So I feel like this has come up in the world of sports like a few times now, like really some memory and big spots. Like you had the Super Bowl with the call that really hurt the Eagles there at the end, right? And it's like, it 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 stings. It stings so much. And like, again, this is, I say it stings, but not in terms of having a horse in the race, just like, it, like trying to figure out an objective way to approach situations like this. Like, yes, it, it makes you feel like, ooh, it gives you like a little pit in your stomach, like in that spot. Right. But like, I feel like, and again, it also matters like how the game's been called throughout the game. Right. So like, I was a little bit so, like the, the flow of the game and like a bit surprised that it comes out in that moment. But like in general, 
saying that aside briefly, like I don't have a ton of sympathy for like, oh, in that spot, like in that situation, like you can't just like because of arbitrarily, like, somewhat arbitrarily, the number of seconds left on the clock, like it's not the game doesn't just get the rule book doesn't change completely just because yeah. there, there's so flex, there's like so few seconds left. So that's you know that's a little less compelling, but the but when you do break that, like I, what was it, Jay Williams and the ESPN was speaking pretty passionately about like yes. there were this many fouls called in this game, but like in this other game there were this many fouls, and then in this game in question there were how many fewer fouls called, and so a bit surpri- more surprising that you had the the let him play, let him play before that fateful you know late call. So um, I have sympathy for kind of both sides of the argument, but I think there are certain ways to go about like making your case for swallowing the whistle there, and like I. It, the best way to keep like officiating to be as objective as possible is to not like have this narrative where we encourage officials to hold themselves to the subjective, like, ah, like when it gets to be pretty late in the game, like what counts as late in the game? Like what counts as crunch time? Like obviously the last few seconds do, but it's a slippery slope. If we like ridicule our officials to the point where we encourage them to, (laughs) to completely call it, like change the way it's called. But then you could say there was a change in how it's called based on the float, like the rate of fouls called, throughout the game and then you wind up with you know you're i always use the kind of lesson from baseball you adjust to the strike zone the way this how it's going to be for this whole game right and then so if there's not consistency there then you then you have some worry so i feel bad you know, like i always feel bad when that when they're when a call like really like changes the whole like swings the game like for in, in when i go home especially i feel bad so it, it, did, it didn't make me feel good um but i'm i'm also not gonna go to the extreme of like i I think it's a defensible call. Like I think it's defensible, but you, yeah, I, I mean, you, you were, you it, were it was definitely a foul. It, it, it was that? definitely a, it was definitely a foul. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think there's any arguments. Like I haven't, I haven't seen anyone saying it's yeah. just like straight up not a foul, which it definitely was a foul. I mean, not an egregious foul, but it, it was a foul nonetheless. I just feel like they were kind of letting them play the whole game, and uh, if I mean, like you say, like if that's not a foul with 10 minutes left in the first half and that's not a foul then. So that's, that's definitely something to keep in mind, but honestly, as a Crane fan, I can't really say we got screwed by the refs or anything like that because we could have just made, we missed a lot of opportunities in that game and San Diego state just, they just had more toughness. They played amazing on defense they also they also struggled on offense but they were able to get it done when it mattered um yeah i mean creighton had plenty of missed opportunities the refs are not what lost them the game and, and there and that wasn't even a bad call to begin with and i mean that that's a tough one based on like situation and how the game has been called but i mean like I, I was a little bit upset at first, but like once I cooled down, I'm like, yeah, okay, that's that's that stuff just happens, and it really just the the worst part about it is that like the game ended like that, like it's just like it was finishing up for a great ending, and like oh well, he's gonna make a free throw to win, and yeah, so that that, that was disappointing. How just how yeah, the game yeah, ended, it, it was and climactic, but. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> so move, moving down to uh, the FAU, they played K-State, and this, this was a very good game, and it was not uh, determined by any calls. FAU just pulled away at the end. They just they played amazing. Uh, Vlad Golden was really dominant 
he's he will be a big key in their matchup for San Diego State, but he's been very good all year. He's yeah, the former Texas Tech transfer really made a huge impact against K State. He was I mean, yeah, he, he he's really the key he was really the key in that game to winning. Um F, but FAU also has so many weapons. Like Janelle Davis is could be a pro. Brian Greenley had a huge game as well. And I, I and uh, I actually did some research, and uh, Brian Greenley and Vlad Golden uh, both started their career at high majors. Uh, Greenley at Minnesota and Golden at Texas Tech. They scored a combined twenty four points their freshman years, and in their elite eight win against Kansas State, they scored a combined thirty points. So that that that's just a stat that I thought I'd throw out there. But yeah, they're. FAU is deep. They go nine deep, and each every nine player like plays a solid amount. Um, yes, and you have to give props to how K State did this season. Amazing first season under Coach Tang. Noel was amazing in the tournament. Keontae struggled a little bit, especially in that game uh, with some foul trouble. But yes, that was. Uh, that was an amazing game, amazing run for K-State. It will definitely be interesting to see how K-State goes from here because Tang did amazing in year one, but he is losing two All-Americans, which um, will definitely be hard to replace. Obviously, you just can't replace them. It will be interesting to see how he replies because he's obviously proven he's a great coach. Um, but yeah. I don't. I don't think this year is just going to be an all-American sitting around the portal. That uh, your <laughs> school will be the only one that will medically clear. So that <laughs> there might be some issues finding another guy like that. I I am really interested to see what happens in year two for Tang. He's, uh, yeah, yeah, he proves an amazing coach, but like now he needs to reel in these amazing more guys from like the portal and maybe develop like Cam Carter to be like uh like I'm not sure if he can be like an all big twelve player, but you need you need to take him to the next level. You need to take Naquan Tomlin to like an all big twelve player. So that'll be interesting to see. But yeah, great season for them. Also been a great season for FAU, but it is not done. They are guaranteed the most wins in college basketball this season. Wow. So yeah, yeah. it's so it's this- been a crazy season. Yeah, so this Florida Atlantic Kansas State game was is I mean the final four is coming and I'm probably gonna sit one of those at least one of those final four games is gonna be terrific and I'm gonna be like pulling my hair out saying I can't believe I said this but I'm not sure there will be a game in the in the final four weekend the tops like this was high entertainment value for me Florida Atlantic versus Kansas State Kansas State Jerome Tang probably the most fun coach in the country with <laughs> the way Kansas State was trending I was talking about their TikTok trend last episode but um yeah so Kansas State. When I look at Kansas, we talked about Florida Atlantic a little bit, and I'll, we'll, we'll certainly, I do want to mention FAU because they are the Final Four team in this discussion, but Kansas State had a much better postseason than Kansas. Like, so think about the momentum, like, within the state that Tang and those guys have, and, like, even though you do, you will be saying goodbye to All-Americans, like, the no, what Noel's done for just, I think, the image of Kansas State, like, I think Noel, like, the way he hooped, like, 30 points, like, 
he had uh, his one shine moment clips are going to be really long. Like he was a big part of this bracket and this year, like I think he just completely changed. Like, is it an overstatement? Like, is it an overreaction to say like the whole recruiting calculus? Like, I know Bill Self and Kansas are going to continue to be a, a power and like absolute force, but like tagging Kansas State, I just think up their cachet in terms of like what it means to be like a yes. K-State basketball player by a lot, right? Like the, the Keontae Johnson story is so heartwarming. Like Tang is such a fun coach to be around. His image has, his stock has never been higher. Uh, the big 12 stock has never been higher. Like Kansas State is positioned to threaten Kansas, like perpet like not perpetually is a little bit dragged, but like indefinitely, right? Like there, I don't think Kansas State's going to back down from that challenge. Now I think it actually will be a rivalry that's pretty well competitively sustained. Um, yeah. Now, then I just want to get to FAU before we had a response. Like Golden and Greenlee, so terrific. And like I, I was going to discuss them too. I mean, the fact that they combined for that point total, um, they, they have the the P five pedigree, and then they like not only do you just is that name in your resume, like you they you could they, they, you can see them playing that way. Like not the, the bright the the lights are not too bright for FAU and for Dusty May. Like it's I I legitimately am going to pick FAU to win in the, the like I do think a part of, why stop here like I I'm gonna spoil my pick like I should have picked Far Atlantic to get to in or at least to get to the elite eight in the first place but I'm not gonna let the same mistake haunt me twice like I think at this point Far Atlantic is this is the run to the national like this is actually gonna be a national championship run like this you've gotten this far by now you have the most wins in college basketball I'm not picking against you at this point the what they showed against Kansas State one of my favorite you know one of America's favorite teams <laughs> in the field like no this is I'm not gonna I'm not gonna overlook you again and that's not just the San Diego State who we're gonna discuss but I'm just I'm just not gonna I'm not gonna live with the regret of not picking FAU this time so that's my yeah. that's my teaser for later but anyhow that's my, those are my impressions from K-State FAU yeah, FAU is good. Like they are really good. They they should not have been a nine seed, uh, to begin with. So yeah, they, yeah, I feel like they've. I honestly like. I I think whoever won, obviously they won that Memphis game. But if Memphis would have won, I th I think Memphis would have been in the final four. Like is that like? Do you, do you agree with that? That, um, yeah. Well, the pathway. I don't know. I might have. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying like definitely like an easy pathway or anything, but I think those are two really good teams. And yeah, no, for sure. To be I, sure. I'm not even like super surprised that FAU is here. Like, I'm a little, a little surprised they made it all the way to the Final Four. But like, I've been watching this team a lot all season, and they are good. Like, th this is not I, yeah. some fluke miracle run. Like, <laughs> this FAU team is good and has been good. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, right. Yeah. They yeah, they is, they are legit. This isn't and, this isn't Loyola Chicago. Like this is a different. Loyola concept. Chicago was good too, though. No, but they weren't. They weren't thirty wins good. Uh, now were they? They they, they, yeah. they might have finished with thirty wins, but they weren't. They weren't at thirty wins this early. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's let me. You can tell me that. I could have my memory I mean, could be off. Their final record was thirty two and six. That includes tournament games, but they were they were they were they were good. They didn't come out nowhere either. Um, I I didn't win in game. Uh, but Florida Atlantic's at thirty sitting at thirty five wins now. Like I just no no <laughs> FAU is better, but they also got the higher seed. Yeah, right. But like I th I think, yeah, they're they're they are very good, and yeah, it's it's been amazing to see like everyone else actually realize that oh, they're good. They're not just beating up on nobodies and not actually good because yes. But moving on, let's talk about the other side of the bracket. Uh, let's discuss the Midwest region, which I was in attendance at. Um, the first, the first uh, two games were a little, a little disappointing. Uh, 
Miami and Houston was good for like 30 minutes, 33 minutes in Miami. It's like opened it up. Uh, Texas Xavier was kind of a disappointing game. I mean, it's not really something super unexpected, but that, that game just never was exciting. But Texas and Miami, that was a game. And honestly, like, when Texas got up 13, like, they were just controlling every part of that game. I thought they were going to run away with it. Like, I was like, well, didn't really get any exciting games out of the three that I've been here, but, like, it's still an amazing experience. And then Miami just, like, started working their way back into it. And Texas just – Texas was not scoring enough points to uh, really hold a lead. I, th- I think Dylan DeSue being out for both these games – I mean, specifically in a Miami game, since that's the one they lost. That had an impact, but also, like, Miami, uh, Woga Poplar played amazing in that game. Jordan Miller also played amazing, 13-13 from the free throw line. And, yeah, they, Miami just, like, they started making shots, and that's what they've been so good at, their offense. And, honestly... Miami is the team that I'm most surprised is in the final four out of these four teams remaining. Mm. Do you agree? Or would you mm. say FAU? Because I, I would say hundred percent Miami. That's a great, that's a great question. It, I think I might be with you on Miami. Honestly, I, I like, thought I, I liked FAU more than Miami. I thought Miami was going to lose round one, which they probably still should have, but <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Like right. you, you different. look at their path, like Miami did not have an easy path. They had to play Drake, who was a good 12 seed, really tested him. Indiana has a top five player in the country and some right. other solid players. Like no one thought Miami would win that game either. They played Houston, the number one team in the country in all the metrics and the championship favorites, um, uh, per the like sports books and stuff. So no one thought they would win that game. I didn't even think they really had a chance, and they just completely blew out Houston and Texas. Texas was the best team remaining in the field. I mean, maybe you could say UConn is better, but I'm pretty sure I read that Texas was a betting favorite at that point, and Miami had to go through two straight betting favorites to make the Final Four. So yes, it just it's just true. been crazy because Miami's yeah. defense is like I thought. Like I feel like we've seen a pattern in a tournament of like oh these teams with. They're too one-dimensional. Like, Miami is amazing offense, but their defense could really give some concerns. So, Miami probably won't go that far. But, like, that, the, their offense is just too good. Uh, Pack and Wong is such a great backcourt. Plus, you add in, like, Poplar. Miller is, Miller is almost a key to all of this. He's just... I don't know. He's, he just always makes the plays. Like, he, he can really get to the rim. He's he's kind of the glue that's holding this team together. Um not like a super like national name such as Wong, but I think Miller is so important. And you have Omir who has been playing great in these past few games. And yeah, I, I don't know how Miami beat Texas. I'm still like confused <laughs> like how they like worked their way back into the game because all the momentum was going toward Texas. So well, so he, I have a suggestion for that. So, and it's not a criticism. It's just pointing out that, so free throws, so just free throws attempted, 32 free throws attempted by Miami. They made 22, 28 of those, 28 for 32, very strong day, 87.5%. 11 of 15 free throws shooting by Texas. So um, it's not a bad percentage necessarily. It could be better, um, but 15 just attempts compared for Texas, compared to 32 attempts 
for Miami. Like that. Miami was I'm really not, getting to line down yeah. the stretch, and they were really yeah. making them. Yeah, like that's I what mentioned, I'm Jordan not, Miller didn't miss yeah. from the line. Like the lot of like Omir. I'm not sure what his percentages are, but I know he's not like a great shooter in general. He he was making them. And yep. there was also a somewhat controversial call late in that game when uh, I'm sure you've seen it, when Omir like jumped and then uh, brought Cunningham undercut him and that would have been Omir's fifth foul but they called it on Cunningham. I think this was the right call. Like if someone's in the air, you can't just like undercut them um, because he he wasn't like boxing out at that point. He was just like, I mean, you can't just like do that when he's in the air um so i think this was a correct call i've seen some controversy about it do you, do you think that was the right call yeah for the same yeah. reasons you you described like i yeah it's i, the, I mean the, I, also... I think if cunningham would have just like stayed where he was that could have been a foul on omir but cunningham like basically like went under him when he was in the air which like that's a pretty unsafe play yeah um, and that's like you see that call, like you see that that gets called like yeah it's not i don't think that's particularly like i get i get why it was it no, no i i think that was absolutely the right call i've just seen a lot of people arguing and that was definitely a huge uh huge momentum thing uh booster just big shift in the game you could say but yeah i mean i think it was the right call for yeah, sure it, that should have been big we said would have been amir's fifth had it been yeah. called amir and and it was kind of like unclear what the call was at first, at, at least being <laughs> which, at the game. Um, right. No, that adds to that adds to like the suspense, and then that adds to the um the dissatisfaction when the the yeah. fan base on the wrong side of the call. Yeah, and <laughs> and in Texas down there, when Texas needed some baskets, they kind of lost themselves the game by getting it to Brock Cunningham. Like no shade to Brock Cunningham, but you have like. Okay, for, first of all, that ball needs to be going to Marcus Carr in close game mm-hmm. situations. If it's mm-hmm. not going to Marcus Carr, you can find about three guys better on the floor to give it to than Brock Cunningham. And I don't know. I mean, I, he took a three like late in the game. Like that, that was fair. But when you try to take that like runner, like don't mm-hmm. give it to him in that situation. He should not be taking that shot. He is not in the game to do that. He is well, in the so, game to shoot and be right. energy. Um. I mean, obviously, probably wouldn't have been playing if uh, DeSue was healthy, but, like, he still can't be taking that shot. You have to drop a play for Carr, and you have to get it to him. I, I think they yeah. should have been playing Morris over Cunningham, honestly. Even though he's a freshman, he's definitely a better offensive player, I'd say, and has a more uh, – definitely definitely a better finisher around the rim. But Well, so, in briefly, circling back to Ronnie Taylor, like, it's not like – yes, like, would it have been better to see the – offense run through another yeah but it's not like terry came out there and like forced cunningham's hand and was like shoot this like i don't think that was necessarily like i don't necessarily think the run in particular like was that really what they were looking for like i i don't know if that was really out of the hand like at that point that's kind of like well that's obviously not what they drew up like that's not a realistic thing that they would do but i feel like you have to be like we have to get to marcus Carr here like that has to be a dictated thing yeah i mean it's it's a bouncing it from okay, I feel like we're kind of crapping on Cunningham, like from, and not like unjust unjustifiably, but like listed as a senior forward, you know, birthplace of Austin, Texas. Like I can get like I can get in under like the under that seat and like 
just having that. He's he's not the player you need taking that shot though. That's I know. Not I'm, just, who like, he I'm trying is. to sympathize him a little bit, Austin. As it, I'm trying. I'm trying to, <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I'm no shade to him. Like he's a he's a fine glue guy. Like he plays with a ton of energy. That's why a lot of people like him. But he's not like your clutch scoring option. And Marcus Carr has been has proven in his career. I know at Minnesota he had like a like a ton of like clutch shots. Like that's what he does, and Marcus Carr can really create his own shot. So yeah, no, I mean, I mean, you're right. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just trying to <laughs> present the other side of the coin for yeah. for Cunningham's sake. That's all. But no, Carr, unquestionably, unquestionably, is the uh, or the or Rice. I don't know if Rice was in that moment, but he's honestly been Texas' best player in the past few months, and his, his shot fake is crazy good. H- have you seen it? He like it's it's. I don't know if I've ever seen a shot fake better. Serge Barry Rice, he he was a huge pickup from the portal. Like, I mean, he wasn't huge at the time, but like the way he played this season, he was like, I thought he'd be like, oh, he's a solid pickup. He can give him like five, mm-hmm. six points a game, like 15 minutes. Like he has been their best player and <laughs> like their past like few months, like he was amazing. But yeah, get it to anyone besides Cunningham. But m- moving on. Uh, let's go to the what region was that? Um, was the, the we, were, we were talking about the Midwest a bit? Yes, with, right? um, that that was the Midwest that we talked about. But what region that was that would have been the West because yeah, it, it was the West. The UConn. Yeah, we need the West with UConn. Yes, that's 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 what we're moving to. But UConn is just so good. Um, even though they're a four seed, I think they're like a one seed caliber team. They just had a bad January and they were clearly the best team in the country at one point in December. And I think you can say they're clearly the best team in the country. Again, the, they've just been demolishing everyone. They come across in the tournament and Dan Hurley has an amazing job coaching this tournament. You look at the coaches he's gone up against first. He went off Iona against Rick Pitino and Sam Aries and Randy Bennett, then Arkansas and Eric Musselman, then Gonzaga, Mark Few. Those are four phenomenal coaches, and none of these games were even close. You guys have been so good, and part of me would be surprised if they don't win it, win this all. But at the same time, like crazy stuff happens in March. Like they could be just really off one day, and yeah. So I mean, I don't really have any like specific thoughts on UConn's run because there hasn't been like any specific moments like oh they hit the huge shot. No, they were up by thirty at the end. Like <laughs> they just been amazing. Like yeah, yeah. No, it's UConn is like Ken Palm incarnate right now. It's like. We're we're seeing why the met like we're always like yeah, the I metrics mean, they're number one. It's like in Ken now it's like now. oh shoot, this is why. <laughs> they're number one in Ken Palm now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, no. yeah. I mean, they were not number one pre-tournament, but they were still much higher than a four seed value. So, yeah, you 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 were correct in pointing out, hey, a bad month during the regular season, and you get a little bit of your seed anchored down a bit by that, weighed yes. down a bit, and you're kind of like. I remember very distinctly we were talking about maybe TCU would be in like an underseeded team because of the injury troubles and like maybe if they got healthy enough and like 
a different kind of underseeding can happen when you go through a really tough speed and, and you know you have a tough run of games and you you turn the corner though and you come back from that but it's still sinking down on your resume a bit and like UConn as that January couldn't be further back in the rearview mirror and like I look at the way they the way they defended Gonzaga like Gonzaga finishing under sixty points in an NCAA tournament game was wild to me uh like Timmy being held to five of fourteen Strother was held to four of fifteen yeah Tim Timmy uh. That fourth foul that he picked up, that eh, that was a little. I don't think they should have called that, but at the same time, like UConn, like they might have made it a little bit closer, but UConn was winning that game either way. But I, I still think that was a pretty bad call. But yeah, it it seems like Drew Timmy will not be returning for his fifth year of eligibility, which is unfortunate because he's a really good college basketball player and is his uh. He just makes the sport better, I think. So, that yeah, was he does in a lot in a number of ways, and like he's kind of like his personality like, is recognizable. Yes, yeah, when it's recognizable long term, like year over year, like women, the women's the women's side of the sport has the the edge on that in terms of those long term like star players, Aaliyah Boston, and Angel Reese at LSU, Caitlin Clark, Haley Van Litt at Louisville, like it. They they're the biggest names like. In terms of like being at their staying at the programs year over year have been on that side of the equation. So it, Timmy, Timmy, like yeah. the, the list is shorter on the men's side. Like Timmy fits that description, like being at the same place year over year and being a huge star. But like it, it's it's a one fewer, like one fewer household name in the college in the college game on the men's side. Yes. Um yes, so let's talk about these final four matchups now that we've talked about how they got here. So FAU and San Diego State, I th- I think we know how this game is going to go because San Diego State kind of dictates how every game they play and is going to go. I think if Creighton would have uh, made it, there would have been more of like more range of outcomes that this game could have gone. But like San Diego State, it's going to just be physical. This is going to be in like, this is going to be a low scoring game. Probably won't get past 70 points. Very unlikely. But that doesn't mean they're going to win necessarily. They're just going to dictate the pace because that's, that's just how they play. They're so physical. And yes. Um, and in FAU, FAU, I feel like FAU can play a variety of ways. FAU has a solid offense, solid defense. They can shoot. Um, yeah, I'm just really interested to see how this game plays out, even though we know how it's going to play out like just stylistically. I'm just interesting to interested to see how like how uh like who wins honestly um I'd give SDSU the slight favorite um I just think I I'm not know if I'd say they're better I just think they're better prepared to win a game like but like F- FAU is right there like this this is a tough one and I'm just really glad that we're gonna get to see. Either one needs teams in national championship because having a mid-major in the national championship is amazing. And especially when it's not like Gonzaga or Houston or like a mid a mid-major like that, which has really been a dominant force. Even though San Diego State has been a dominant force for to give them credit, but they haven't had the tournament success. But now now they're winning. So yeah, this game will be good. Um, San Diego State, I think Nathan Mensa is the best inside defender in the country. He will definitely have a test for him in Golden, but 
Mensa was able to shut down Kalkbrenner, who is potentially the best interior scorer in the country. Um, Kalkbrenner is amazing around the rim, and he was not amazing for San Diego State. San Diego State is so like physical; they can really beat you there. They also are deep, along with FAU. So both teams will have the depth to contend in this game. Um, FAU, although I think they have more guys who can create their shot, I think you can look for, uh, especially Davis and Martin, but you can also look for, you can also look for like Boyd and uh, Greenlee to create their shots. Um, Forrest can definitely get a bucket. He he was just talk a little tangent about Forrest. That was he was clutch hitting those free throws at the end of the K State game. He'd been in for five years. Saw his minutes decline a little this year, but he came up big in that game. But yeah, he he's definitely got to get a bucket. So in that in that respect, I think FAU is a slight advantage outside of maybe Tremel and Bradley. I mean, they also have like uh. Lamont Butler, who is solid, but I think FAU just has more like shot creators and good. FAU just has so many guards. They play like four guards at a time. So, yeah, I mean, what what are your thoughts on this game? I've been talking for a while. No, it's all good because I, I I gave away my pick. I'm not I'm not getting like I'm not the fool is the wrong word, but I'm not over. I'm not doing this again. Florida Atlantic is going to the Natty. They're going to the Natty like. And that's in like Mensa. I I do think is going to at that forward spot going to be a big point of concern because like if this is a smaller FAU lineup consistently like the in the team stats like just kind of look in the tail of the tape like San Diego State's most like real clear advantages in like blocks per game, um so like shot blocking shot contesting, uh by San Diego State that overall defense is going to be a possible pain point for Florida Atlantic but I think FAU undoubtedly keeps this like I could see FIU trailing at the half but I certainly expect it to be a game at the half and I really like I picture it being close late but I think Florida Atlantic takes the lead at some point in the second half and then never never lets it go like I that's just kind of how I see this going um but it it's really it's a bit of a it's a, it's a gut feeling because the way you described it like these teams are both so deep right like it's obviously to make a run of the tournament and have that success in terms of battle attrition like you do have to be deep but i i like i like i like the what the i like far atlantic to be like and then maybe this is some of me my opinion of san diego state being a quasi mid-major while the pac-12 stuff swirls like yeah they're a mid-major but like and i guess you know since far atlantic is about to be in the american the american is kind of an upper middle class <laughs> institution in college athletics as well so it you know so overlooking all that though and actually looking at the teams um yeah, Florida, Davis, Boyd, Carroll for Florida Atlantic. So, I mean, Carroll's at the at the fourth spot, but I'm mostly focusing on the guards that you talked about earlier. Yeah, well, Carroll doesn't play. Yeah, but he, I'm saying that his – oh, my bad. I didn't mean to say Carroll. I did not mean to say <laughs> – I went to I, – I literally read, I literally misread that from my um list of FAU guys, but no, that's my bad. The In general, again, I should have stuck with the guard spots. In general – the guard, the guard play in 2023 is going to win you final four games, I think. So while I love the Mensa versus Golden matchup too, like that's going to be big for saying the tone early, I think. I'm going to trust the Florida Atlantic. I'm going to trust Dusty May. 
Yeah. Um, personally, I think I would go with San Diego State, but I kind of want to see a Florida Atlantic win. Like, I'll probably be rooting for them slightly, but also be pretty content with whoever wins this game. But yeah, I just, mm, San Diego State's defense is so good. But FAU is also more solid on both sides of the ball. They definitely have a good defense as well. Not as good, but their offense is quite a bit better. They're very good in both of those. Not not like crazy good, whereas San Diego State is crazy good in defense. But their offense is their offense is much better than last year. Um, yeah, um, FAU really. They're second in the country in three-point defense. Um, and FAU is top 50 in three-point shooting. That'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, let's look at some other statistics here. Yeah. Um, this will definitely be an interesting matchup. See, yeah, both both teams are in the top thirty in bench minutes, so in the country, so they they both I think they both go like nine deep or so. I know FAU does nine deep, like for sure. San Diego State somewhere around that, but yes, this will be a great game. I I just trust San Diego State a little bit more because they can they will control the pace, and if FAU gets down by like ten, them will feel like thirty. Because yeah, with the tempo, right. like mm-hmm. yes, yeah, I could, I, I think Florida Atlantic is has a chance to be really. I could see them trailing by that figure at one point, but I, I don't think, I don't think this is an like. I just think when you're in, what is this? Far this was Florida Atlantic's what number appearance in the NCAA tournament now? Uh, second, and this second, and this is your first time they won games. <laughs> first time winning a game, yeah. So like, at this point, I don't think like. There's something about a team that's on a run like this, like not to say it's like a completely out of nowhere, because I guess we are we are talking about the 35 win team, this, that, the other thing. Like this isn't completely a fluke or some kind of, you know, one in a million miracle. But at some point, I don't think like t- the these the later tournament games get like they're still gonna skew closer. Like I I I actually am the the pace matters. Like San Diego State, the way it, the way it can like smother you a little bit matters. Like being down by 10 is a drastic situation against those guys. But um, I mean, I'm not saying it'll get to that point, but if it does, that could be a big issue. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you, I mean, it is a guard predicated FAU team. I, I misread. I was going through, I I skipped a forward spot at like who, who's listed at forward. Uh, Giancarlo Rosado. I mean, he averages like six. Um, six yeah. I mean, I mean like, they kind of like rotate minutes, him, like, him and it, golden, like right. golden plays like maybe like 24 minutes a game and Rosado will play. 16 yeah. or so Rosado so, really came up big in that game against Memphis. Yeah. So I that, when I was looking at the forward spot, I jumped Rosado, my, which is my bad. But like well, I wanted to bring up Rosado because like heaven forbid, like something happened. Like in basketball, you don't usually see it, but like say something in game happens to Golden, like I, like certainly that's gonna swing things. Like then so all of a sudden, like San Diego State, you know, not the Rosado is not um I mean Rosado is capable, fine. Just, but they, they might lean on him in the more minutes he has to play. Like it could be a spot. Like I'm saying hypothetically, like you could see it swing to San Diego State there where you Rosado see Rosado is fine, but hypothetically they would have like no one to back him up. Right. Right. And that's the that's so, that's where you have an even bigger that would be the issue. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. let's hope uh 
no, right, I'm not, especially right. Golden can stay healthy in this right. game. I want to see two healthy teams, <laughs> two healthy mid majors battling for a spot in the national championship. I'm not wishing for anybody. I'm just saying that, like, hey, these are like uh, possibilities to consider. Like, my gosh, these teams are close, and if, if, if who's better equipped to handle the possible adversity of who could be in and out of the game, and it, it goes with foul trouble too. Like, I'm not trying to say an injury scenario. Let's say foul trouble in, for Golden that could also be in play. Yes. So moving to the other game in the final four, which will be uh, Miami versus UConn. And at first glance, like UConn has been so good as tournament that you, you think they're just going to steamroll everyone. But we've also been saying that Miami like doesn't stand a chance in the past few games they played and they've won them. So I have to give Miami a chance here because I mean, their offense is still amazing. Top five in the country, but UConn is just so good on both sides of the ball top three offense 11th on defense per Ken Palm and they've just been playing so good Jordan Hawkins has been amazing lately he's he is good and you have Snogo in the middle will match up well with Amir yeah this will be an interesting matchup for sure um these are two teams I think I slept on so I should have I I was accounted for UConn, but kind of yeah. didn't get embrace the didn't embrace UConn. Like I I think I, mean, I, I, I always knew that they had the potential to like just go crazy in the tournament like they've been. Yeah. But I didn't really give that to Miami. Like I just thought their defense would hold them back. And it's like it's it's been serviceable enough to let their offense carry them. But do you tournament. think that do you think that lasts against UConn is the question? I mean, I didn't think it would last first <laughs> against who Indiana. they've gone through so far. <laughs> I didn't think it was working against Indiana either. But like, does it run out at some point? Like, does this? I don't. Fairy dust is like I don't want to marginalize their. I run, mean, though. I mean, it's not. It's not really their defense running out. It's just their, their offense, like having a little bit of an off game, and their defense isn't good enough. Like, y- there were moments in that Texas game where it's like, oh, Miami's just not a good defensive team. But their offense was one them that game. They scored like eighty nine points or eighty eight or something like that. But they just have to have their offense on and my worry is if UConn's defense is playing too good then that game can just get out of hand but Miami's also yeah Miami's been so good too so yeah UConn definitely has a little more depth depth than Miami um they they go fairly deep they don't play a ton of bench minutes Definitely not like anything compared to the other two teams on the other side of the bracket. But they have a fairly uh, solid bench. Um, What do you see here? What do you see here, though? I mean, I see a double-double I mean, for Sunogo. I, I mean, it's... Yeah, I also would probably see a double-double for Amir. I mean... Yeah. Yeah, maybe. No, I, that's... Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I just think... I just think... I mean, it's hard to bet against Miami after they've beat the betting favorites two straight games, but I just think at some point, like, they're going to run into a team, I mean, that's that they just can't get past. This is that team. I'm claiming this is that team, but I, I'll, I agree. I'll, maybe they'll bite me. Maybe they'll bite me, but maybe they'll bite me for it, but I, I think UConn's been so good recently, and I mean, I'm not going to rule out my, Miami's guards are so good. Like, I think I already said this like before when I was talking about Miami, but they have really good guards plus Miller and Omir. You can't count them out, especially what they've been doing, but I'm going to go with UConn here. 
it's grinning and bearing it, making the pick more formally. I'll roll with the Huskies as well, which means if we're both siding with one team, we saw how that worked out last episode where we worked yeah. our way from the Sweet 16. We, in. We, have, we have different picks on the other side, though. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, we, so, we, uh, we diverged a little. You did better, you did better than me. Um, you, you have the uh, Jalen Gaffney Bull in the championship. Yeah. yeah. Gaffney had transferred from UConn to FAU to stop season, so... Yeah, he he could potentially play his final his former team in championship, and if FAU somehow ends up, uh, if FAU plays Miami, that would be like the ultimate <laughs> South Florida matchup. Uh, considering yeah, like be, none of those teams have really been good in basketball before. That that would be so. That would just be a situation where in the hypothetical where we have the U and FAU, if only they could the NCAA could just snap its fingers and move it to like. Miami, the Miami Heat Arena, and just have an yeah. absolute. They have to play in a football stadium now. <laughs> What's that? They play in a football. They play stadium. in a football stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I. But yeah, yeah. Just, just like that. That'd be like. But see, yeah. actually, I stand yeah. by it because basketball and a football in the football, like I, I appreciate the specter of the Final Four, and maybe if I get, when I finally get to a Final Four and a football stadium, maybe I'll view it differently. But like, like, I guess it's there's the the demand is there for it, right? So like, I guess you have to like play in a venue yeah. where you can have that size yeah. I, mean, I'm, I mean i'm definitely going to go to the final four eventually when i can so i was kind of looking uh for when i graduate and the first year that after i graduate will be 2027 which will be in detroit so like eh, like detroit no, so you, gotta, you gotta come to detroit yeah because that's not too bad for no, me i mean I, my... I'll, I'll probably go if i'm able to because i won't be <laughs> in school yet but like detroit's yeah. just like like, uh, well, know, I'm shocked like, that it's not a warm weather destination. Like, heck, Detroit as a destination makes me think that it could come to Philadelphia someday or something. But that's an outdoor football stadium, so you got to figure out where can you get where can you get a venue that's big <laughs> near me. Philadelphia and Baltimore, they don't check those boxes. Yeah, there's no in, well, there's no we, indoor football. <laughs> yeah. Well, so are you going to be in college four years then? That's the plan. Like, you're yeah. So. I should be out. If I'm not out by then, I have I have bigger well, problems. Yeah, but you, you should be out in 25, though, right? Oh, yeah, 25. I'm like you. Yeah, yeah I so, should be out so 25. You could go 26, but yeah. I it is likely that I will be back for a fifth year oh, due, to, due to both athletic and – well, more athletic reasons, but I'm also using that for academic purposes. But, yes. I, are we breaking news on the podcast here? I don't know. Huh? West Missouri State runner. I am redshirting this outdoor season of track. It's uh, yeah, I'm 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 not sure if anyone on this uh, listening to this podcast cares, <laughs> well, but well, you know, so just, I mean, uh, I talked about my intramural student athlete basketball experience. So your student athlete experience far. Yeah, far I mean, I'm, I'm I'm actually an NCAA athlete. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> but yeah, no, I well, kind of had some uh, a little bit of minor injuries and uh, didn't really feel. In shape, so decided to retro, and I'm actually feeling really in shape now. So Good. at this point, just uh, just getting ready for cross country. Honestly, Excellent. my my, my you know, race my race unattached. Yeah, what you say at the end? I'm sorry. My uh, race unattached this season, so hmm. it won't count against my eligibility or count like towards university. But yeah, uh, enough enough talk about that. Um, so <laughs> yeah, my who, fault. Who, I, I was here to hear your, how you were doing. My bad. <laughs> Yeah, so who who's your national championship pick now that we have this? So uh... it's you know I if you follow the podcast you know like I'm kind of a voice of uh, the East Coast and mid majors so like it's like heck like Florida Atlantic's an East Coast mid major like how could he not pick the Owls in the national championship game? But I think that's 
a bridge that's extra far from it. Now, I'll probably be like, shoot, if FIU cuts down the nets at the very end, I'll say, shoot, this was that kind of year all along. We said in the podcast in the Final Four episode, you should listen to yourself when you're talking about all the chaos that it's been and there hasn't been a clear breakaway favorite. But all along, maybe UConn was lurking as that team, maybe. And I think I think if UConn... I think if UConn gets that Florida Atlantic draw in the in the national championship game, UConn's like UConn's just one of the top defenses in the it stacks up so well. So uh Coach Hurley, that's remarkable. I'd honestly I should have I should have an easier time picturing Coach Hurley uh holding holding the trophy at the end. But I guess I kind of I still I still picture him with Rhode Island, you know. I still associate him with the with the with Rhodey's. So it's the I mean, I'm still not sure if he's like an amazing coach, but like the <laughs> job he's done in the tournament has been crazy good so there's yeah. no question yeah so that's that's i'm wrong with. i'm wrong with yukon over um florida atlantic such yes. that yukon overcomes its women's team failing to make the final four this season which was a huge surprise so first time in a long time so yukon stores can can breathe easy in some ways anyway as they'll get some consolation in the form of a of a natty in, a, in the bracket we're discussing here yeah well yukon is the heavy favorite kind of everywhere but I am going with San Diego State to get down the nets. I think because they, they, like I said, they will control the tempo in every game they play. UConn has really been like getting out ahead of teams and just like steamrolling them so far this tournament. They will not do it to San Diego State. Even if they beat San Diego State, it's going to be like a close grit and grind game the whole time. And for this reason, I think San Diego State could just like take control of it, not like not blow them out like UConn has been doing to other teams. But I think, I think there's a possibility that San Diego State could just like they could just out. I mean, they're gonna out physical UConn. They they, they just could like eventually just like wear wear into UConn and the Aztecs just pull away. You know, I I'm not sure if I fully believe that they will beat UConn, but like I think there's, I think. It's a very high, a lot higher possibility than people are giving it. So, you know, I'm rolling with San Diego State. It would be amazing to see a mid-major like San Diego State win the tournament, even though they will probably be uh, in the Pac-12 at some point. But, yeah, I... yeah. I respect the pick, man. You don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to talk around it too much. Like, I, I get it. Like, this is the team that beat Alabama. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I mean, they beat them because they controlled that game. Mm-hmm. Like the mm-hmm. final score what was it seventy one sixty four. Like Alabama yeah, right. scores a lot of points, and that they just couldn't get it going. And that's what San Diego State does. Like Creighton could not make a shot in the second half to save their lives. Like that's the kind of stuff that San Diego State does, even though they're not the most like fun, appealing team to watch at times. Like they are still a very good basketball team but yeah so i yeah, it, i'm going with SDSU's him to win it capable. all they're, they're capable sdsu is capable Absolutely. i mean this is the team that i know brandon miller struggled in uh throughout the NCAA tournament but like three of 19 from the field including one for 10 from three is like astonishing the way like that's not all like i know people want to clown him and like people are always making memes about him like on and off the court but like in the end like that's not just him like that's san diego state like absolutely throwing yes. you off so like, <laughs> so no, San Diego State can dictate to you. Like what you're saying is the Aztecs are going to dictate the style of play to you within a game. And yeah, I mean, they, some teams aren't ready yeah, for like, that. 
they they will control the game flow. Like no matter who they play, they're just just the way they play. Just it, the game will go that way. So and San Diego State held Creighton on two for set. Creighton shot two for seventeen from three in that Elite Eight game. That's yes, I I have been seeing that like. People have not been shooting a three well because the balls that they using using are like different. I mean, I'm I'm not saying that's why Creighton shot so bad. San Diego State <laughs> legitimately has the second best three point defense in the country over the course of the season. Yeah. But just just to throw that in as a side note, there that like people have not been shooting great from three this tournament, and they're blaming on. the balls. It's it's a pretty valid argument, honestly. Um, when you're used uh, to something everybody... all season. Everybody's playing with the same ball, yes. at least when it comes to <laughs> in the game. Yeah, so, everyone uh, is. So there's there's no like. Uh, but your team at least by like, three. Yes, yes, that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. Well, um, I guess anything else you want to touch on? It's getting kind of late here. This podcast <laughs> definitely got a little bit longer than expected, but I think we've still got some solid conversations in. In there, mixed in there, there's some good moments, maybe. <laughs> but no, I think, I think, um, I, I do think that is like kind of interesting that like, like three point shooting has been down across the bracket. And like, if you're like, I'm, I'm, I picked Florida Atlantic to make the national championship game. Like, and if you're so, if you're a team that plays that many guards and you're like doing a bit more perimeter shooting, like game to game, does that like that's risky business? It can be the way the tournament's played out. But, um, this is this, I circle back to the larger point, which is like the fact that we're even sitting here arguing over is it going to be Florida Atlantic or is it going to be San Diego State like great great moment for the sport like if you're if like I don't mean to use like the cat like oh you're a casual but like this should be a way to draw cat like there should be some interest and some novelty in here like it isn't just like if it were exclusively like last year's final four was really full of heavyweights but it was also kind of a routine final four like a pretty pretty usual cast of characters like this should the novelty of this year's final four should really bring in i think the, a number of different kind of casual viewers not casual viewers who are looking for you know the name brands they grew up on but like heck this is a new era like this is this is the upside of like the the chaos of the transfer portal and like you can build mm-hmm. i mean it's gonna be easier for bigger programs to sustain like realistically like it that it doesn't mean we're every year we're going to see four new teams every single season or three new teams, I should say, every single season. But the, the, it, you can get topsy-turvy like this, and this is uh, a wonderful embodiment of that. Yeah, speaking about a transfer portal, uh, Miami, like, they got packed for, like, they they essentially paid him to come there, even though it's not techni- technically what happened. But, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, legally they did not. Legally, it wasn't like pay for play, but like they gave him. He got he is got compensated well with some nil deals, but like that that's really paid off for them. Like I feel like a lot of the season we've been saying like, oh, well, Pack has been fine, but he's been very good, but he hasn't been quite the player we expected. Well, they're in the final four, and they would not have been there without him at this point. So, I, I'd say those uh checks are cashing out. Well, and that's interesting because Miami, the fact that you have a regional a regional championship to show for it, and uh, uh, like, of course the corresponding Final Four appearance. Now, like I, I mentioned to you earlier off the air, I'll be in Washington D.C. as we record. I'll be in Wednesday here, Wednesday the 29th. I'll be in D.C. for that NIL uh, House Subcommittee Congressional hearing on NIL, and they'll you know so Charlie Baker and the NCA the NCA president has 
kind of he's you know he's the former governor of Massachusetts, so he's you know kind of a liaison sort of between the NCAA and uh, current active politicians to try to see if we can get some national uh, NIL oversight that's you know federal regulations that kind of preempt all these varying state laws. And in the meantime, though, that's just being the first congressional hearing on that is to, is tomorrow or today or whenever you know it's Wednesday the 29th of this month here in in March 23. So that's all just happening now. In the meantime. There, how many power programs are going to want to follow the example of Miami, right, Austin? I mean, it's paid off. The paying dividends, like you're saying, like the PAC NIL arrangement looks pretty good, doesn't it? Yes, I mean it's uh, it's working out quite well for Miami. Um, I'm, yeah, I mean, can't really make any complaints about that if you're in Miami. Maybe we're expecting a little bit more about him from regular season, but like he was probably the reason they beat Houston. He cannot miss from three that game, so. Absolutely worth all that money for your first Final Four appearance as an institution. So, a- anything else before we uh, release this episode that you want to touch on? I know I know you mentioned you want to touch on Caitlin Clark. Uh, yeah, episode. yeah. I'm glad for I'm glad you reminded me of that. So Caitlin Clark with her triple double uh, in the women's bracket, Iowa is now in the Final Four, and she just it. Folks like to, you know, some some people make assumptions and jokes about the women's bracket. Like the women's tournament has been outstanding this year. There were two one seeds who fell in, or I should say prior to the Sweet 16, I want to say. They didn't make it out the opening weekend. Those were Stanford and Iowa. I just mean, it's not Iowa. I, I beg your pardon. The other Big Ten schools started than I, Indiana. Stanford and Indiana uh, falling in the women's bracket in upsets. Uh, and Clark has been outstanding. I mean, Clark in Iowa versus South Carolina in the women's final four is going to be must see. Like you're not going to want to miss that either. Like the, you want to talk about like, Oh, in the men's side, maybe there aren't the same like household like names. Well, South Carolina is in Dawn Staley. That's a household name in the women's bracket. And then you get Caitlin Clark and Iowa facing that team head to head. That's going to, that's going to be absurd. That's going to be absolutely absurd. And like the line for Clark against Louisville um, in the elite eight in the Seattle regional four, 41 points, 10 boards, 12 assists, three steals. Uh, that's crazy i mean like i i don't watch women's basketball a ton but clark is so fun to watch like when, whenever i do which like i mean obviously there's so many men's college basketball games on every night that i yeah. ha- hardly watch women's but like in the in the tournament i watched a little bit of her game the other night she is fun to watch like it, it's i mean like it, it stacks up there with the top men's players it really does like it, she She's gonna have an argument. Like she may, she may wind up when it's done. Like actually, be the greatest women's basketball player ever. Like she'll be, she's gonna be in that discussion, is she not? Like, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know enough about women's basketball. You're, you're probably know I, more on that subject. But I know, I, I, I know to, she is good. I'll have to hit the history archives. I mean, I watched Elena Deldon firsthand through the University of Delaware. So Elena Deldon is in that mix too. But and different players that come through Gino Ariema's program, I have a say as well. But um, no, I mean, yeah, Caitlin Clark. Just wanted to get, get that shout out in there. That 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 line score. The first player in NCAA men's or women's tournament history to have a forty point triple double. So it was the forty one points, the ten rebounds, and the twelve assists in the ninety seven to eighty three win over Louisville for Iowa in that Elite Eight. So I had to get that in. So I appreciate you, Austin, uh, giving me that giving me the opportunity. But that that's what we have. It's been a long show, so I appreciate you bearing with me. Well, yeah. Um... No, nothing else you want to touch on? 
Am I missing? Am I missing? Are you are you trying to prompt me? Am I missing something? No, here? no. I'm just making making okay. sure we get everything. Here. Oh, I appreciate it. No, my my loose ends are tied up. So, yep. We let's let's have a great celebration of the of what a season we've had with the uh, now final four yes, taking yes, on each. This county. this might be our last podcast in season. I don't, I don't know. We we could do like a short one between the final four and national championship. We could that, do a mini. That, we could find a way. Maybe we'll have to we'll have to see we, what we can, can do. That. We'll see, but. Yeah, this, this could potentially be our last podcast in the season, but don't worry. We will have still have our content every week over at offseason. The transfer portal will keep some good podcasts going for a while. Still some coaching hires to be made. Um, most of the big ones I filled, but I feel like we got to do a podcast. Like I, I've listened to some other college basketball podcasts that have like one episode a year where they just like, devoted strictly to coaching hires we can definitely get around to that we'll definitely have some, <laughs> a lot of portal episodes and then yeah you know we'll we'll find some content in the middle of summer summer where there's not much to talk about so yes keep keep, keep staying tuned to our podcast even though the games will be ending this week our podcast will continue strong through the off season so you know with that being said the final four is very soon I will be tuned in. You guys all better be tuned in as well. This will hopefully produce some amazing basketball. The tournament has been so unpredictable so far. I just can't wait for what is to come in the final four. So on that note, that is the podcast.